Welcome to the Triple V Podcast. In today's podcast, we are joined by Leonard, the co-founder of Peak. Peak is developing the infrastructure to enable people to own a share in machines and the machine economy. This has the effect of aligning people behind the goal of enabling machines to provide the best possible services to people and other machines. Yeah, hello everyone. First of all, great to be here. And um, maybe I start with a brief intro about myself and then I, I uh, jump into Peak. So my name is Leonard and I'm one of the co-founders of Peak and I'm responsible for the product development. So really focused on working with our engineering teams, but also partners and external stakeholders really to understand requirements and needs. Because um, as I'll tell, talk a bit more about, like Peak is working a lot in the real world, right, with machine manufacturers and so on. And that's why it's very important that we are active in the in the Web3 community, but also very active in the enterprise world. Um, yeah, so, so Peak, Peak is actually... Uh, started quite a while ago. Um, we were already thinking about building Peak in 2017, but it really started in 2020. But back then, we already saw the massive potential of blockchain and IoT. And um, yeah, like what you could do and really build when you combine those two. But it's been very early days. There's been lots of hype. And even the technology felt like blockchain, there was quite a long way to go in terms of adoption the enterprise world there still is but a lot more is happening as of today in 2020 then we we decided to to really go all in and and build peak and start with peak we've before worked with quite some big enterprises automotive companies and so on to really figure out what are the use cases and business cases and problems worth solving and based on that knowledge and background we then um kind of started Peak, founded Peak, and first of all, like built networks with those bigger companies to test things out. Because as you can imagine, especially the bigger companies, they were a bit hesitant back then to jump into Web3 straight away using public permissionless networks and tokens and so on. But this kind of is changing at the moment and we're very happy about that. And that's why we're also launching the public peak network right and the, the test net is already up and running because we know that we can now everything that we've worked on and that we've built in the past and the knowledge we've gathered we can really put onto a public network and enable companies and developers and the community to actually build and use this network or those networks as there will be multiple uh and kusama and polkadot and um yeah so what is peak all about so our long-term big vision is really to enable the machine economy or the economy of things to enable all kinds of machines such as electric vehicles and charging stations for example to transact with each other without having to go through middlemen so a charging station can offer and sell energy to an electric vehicle without having to go through any central platform or use any banks or uh, fintech providers to do the settlement but everything can happen straight away on the peak network um, or like a robo taxi like that vehicle can drive people around and be paid for that without having to go through uber or any other provider there again and as you hear like a lot of mobility 
utility use cases in the near future, but then further down the line, drones and many other machine types uh, will also be able to be economically active on the peak network. So this is a bit of an overall long-term, um, like this, this economy of things that at some point, really machines are doing everything that's required for society to function. So not many humans are needed anymore. We're like really in an age of automation and abundance where the machines are working for humans. And this can be done in the best way on a Web3 network where you really have that decentralized transaction infrastructure. Everything can identify everything, transact and settle. Um, it's, it's trusted and it's permissionless. Because if you would try to build that on a on a web two, is it, it's almost impossible because you have many centralized platforms. Those are all closed gardens and uh, closed databases. So all of those things can cannot really interact and see each other. Um, that's why it has to be a web three infrastructure, and this is what we are building with Peak. Yeah, so there's quite a lot happening already. So a lot of those use cases are built as of today and are being um, tested on the on the test net already. So there are use cases, especially in the field of mobility, which are very tangible in the near future. Um, on top of that, the, the economics and the token economic model on peak is designed in a way to incentivize all the essential stakeholders, like investors, that are investing into the ecosystem and want to earn from the machine economy, machine manufacturers, machine owners, and the users. So it's done in a way that, that rewards are distributed and that earning um, is done in a way that all the right stakeholders are incentivized because only then the ecosystem can really function. So this is a, a brief overview of, of what we're working on, what Peak is all about. And as I said before, we're like very active also in the real world, working in the consortia such as GaiaX, MoveID, with companies such as Bosch, Continental, Airbus, and so on. So we really aim to be as close as possible and cater to those real world requirements while also bringing in the, the complete Web3 spirit, um, and making sure that there's no big player actually owning and controlling the network or parts of the network, but it's 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 fully decentralized and permissionless. Yeah, so this has been um, like a brief introduction. And yeah, is there any anything specific you guys think I should dive into more before we we jump into the questions? Any part? Well, maybe can you give the community a practical example where peak would be of value to one of the existing ways how things are currently done you know like for example the, the charging stations uh, solar panels or yes. you know something practical practical yes absolutely so the charging station example is a, is a very good one because there's a dApp already being built on peak right now the charging infrastructure is highly fragmented so as a as electric vehicle user you have to sign up with many different providers like have user accounts charging cards and so on so you need to have like between in, in Europe, for example, 10 to, to 15 in order to charge area wide. You always have to uh, create a new account and so on. So it's a fragmented infrastructure with lots of closed siloed systems. 
and that is very bad for the the user itself then on on, on the back end side it's a massive um, problem for all those companies operating charge points and for all those companies that are having the user apps because they need to then again use roaming platforms or do like one by one matchmaking like integrating with each other so it's a, it's a very very um again fragmented ecosystem where lots of settlement costs roaming costs are involved and users are very very frustrated because they don't find a charging station where they can charge their electric vehicle easily and furthermore like all the the private charging infrastructure is not really accessible at all so if you have a um, private charging station and you want to make it accessible this is not possible today there are some like web2 platforms that start to offer this but then uh, then again they take a cut for doing so and if you do that web3 based you have all vehicles users and charging stations on one web3 network they can all identify each other they can all transact with each other authenticate with each other so you can solve the fragmentation and everyone can also after charging session is done, exactly get the amounts um, they they deserve, like from the chart, the cut they deserve. Every player gets the cut. It's, it's settled with smart contracts fully automatically. And as of today, the settlement process involves manual invoicing and takes many many weeks. So this is one practical example of um, how a Web three based solution on the Peak Network is much more efficient, cheaper, and more user friendly than what we have as of today. Um, yeah, another example or examples which I really like is, for example, uh, we have autonomous vehicles soon, and then we have robot taxis. And like those robot taxis operating, like having a decentralized Uber app on the peak network where those taxis can offer rides, be paid directly. Then the taxi goes to the charging station, needs to charge, pays the charging station. Again, that's a transaction on the network. Then it goes to um, to parking spot where it wants needs to park because whatever it doesn't have a right at the moment. Then it pays the parking spot directly peer to peer again. Then it goes through a toll road and then it pays the toll road peer to peer. So you can really see how this ecosystem and it needs to transact with many different things. And this is just so much. Yeah, this this only becomes possible in Web three and Web two. This is barely possible. How do you go about the com compatibility of those individual um, machines? Because I assume they have they had been built without what you guys are going to do in mind, right? So how do you actually get the peak software into those machines? Yes, that is a that is a very good question, and this is exactly one of the hardest part. Like, how do you get from where we are today to that 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 world where this works? Um, one easy way is that um, as soon as, as long as the machine has an internet connection and many like smart machines, they have an internet connection and they often talk already to a centralized backend, then one can integrate at the backend side and make the machine communicate with the network through that centralized backend. So the first step is kind of you, we use what is in place already. We do a simple backend integration. We enable the machines to be on the network and to transact and use it. And then the second step further down the line is actually the machine is able to directly communicate with the network. So you can imagine there's kind of a centralized step in between where you still have to go through a central backend. 
because updating software on machines, um, as you correctly said, just takes a lot of time and effort. And then as a second step, one actually really releases in a couple of years machines that are Web3 native and can, like they have a light client on it and can directly talk to the network without having to go through any central backend. But yeah, this is, this is definitely a process. And I guess it's no coincidence that you already have existing partnerships with companies which build those machines, right? Because, you know, I think much rather than convincing, um, you know, particular brands, I think it's probably the best approach to go right to the source and, and, and go, you know, to the plants where this, these machines are being manufactured and then, you know, already ensuring the compatibility on that end. Exactly. Yeah, this is like this GaiaX Move ID consortium. This, this is a project. It's funded by the European Union. It goes for three years. And we are really working with those machine manufacturers hand in hand to figure out requirements. We're even working on a hardware device to kind of up upscale um, or, or re yeah to like refit existing machines. So that's a hardware device that you can add to existing machines, vehicles, for example, make them Web three ready. So it's an identity giving them a Web three identity and communication uh, abilities. So. We, we exactly work on that with them. Like, how do we get the machines into Web3? And it's, it's great to be able to collaborate that closely with those uh, manufacturers and have, have it funded by the European Union on top. And why would those manufacturers go through all those expenses to then potentially end up having less influence or you know, less power over the machines they're building? Because normally you would expect it's in their interest for everything to be centralized. And with it being decentralized, you would imagine that they could potentially fear giving away some of their shares, so to speak. Yeah, very true. Um, the, the, the beauty is that many of those manufacturers are not or have not really joined the platform business. So many of them are heavily reliable on Google, Amazon, uh, Microsoft, Azure, like all, all those big hyperscaler cloud platforms, which have all the data, which, and, and, and do like are really in the, the platform business. So those manufacturers kind of see a new opportunity of, Hey, okay, we can actually build platform business models without having these massive central, uh, Silicon Valley platforms in the middle. And they actually see the opportunity to build new revenue streams in web three from tokenomics. Uh, enabling like to make the machines more valuable because the customers can then make money with it so they can sell it for more or just put those machines out there themselves and have them economically being active and making money. So they actually see quite a big opportunity there. And of course, no one like the figuring out the business models of Web3 is an ongoing process. It's not, it's never, it's, you know, it's not as clear as in Web2 yet. But there are great opportunities on how you can make a lot of money in, in, in DAOs, right? How you can um, build sustainable revenue streams in Web3. And they are like very keen to investigate this also in, in those research projects, for example. And they're also very keen on, on data sovereignty and, and all of those things. So the, the enemy is not Web3. The enemy is more big Web2 central platforms those um, bigger manufacturers as they have to give a lot 
of value away to them constantly. Is there a specific country or region on which you want to focus on first or are you going to get, you know, go global right away? Yeah, that's a very good question as well. So since we're coming out of Europe, we're very active in Europe, starting in Germany, but also like within that GAIA-X, Europe is really pushing all the, the technology and um, is in for sovereignty and all of this. So that helps as a breeding ground for sure. Um, but we also have activity already ongoing in India, where one uh, DApp is integrating with a manufacturer. And like our aim is really to provide the best possible infrastructure, facilitate and tools, and then let the community enable the community to build on top. Of course, we as Peak will always have activity. We will be active on consortia. We will work on creating as much traction as possible. But then we don't want to, you know, block or hinder anyone anywhere in the world to to work and build i think europe is is interesting um asia for sure as well and then uh, america definitely uh, not north america is we have we have activity ongoing there as well good 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 network um yeah yeah just just to to touch on to that um which business do you think is the best for you guys to start in first and and to elaborate on that like where do you expect the least pushback from one of those centralized platforms i imagine if you go for something as big as uber then that's going to be borderline impossible because of the the imbalance in terms of capital and resources and also the the interest of uber to definitely not give away any of the data and power so, so where do you guys think you, you have the, the low-hanging fruits for you to come up with the proof of concept and, and you know, start building the very first um, sustainable business model? Yeah, very good point. So uh, the, the, like a um, company like Uber would be one that would get disrupted through a decentralized version of it. So they, these are definitely not the target players because obviously they, they, like they don't want to um, kill their own business model. But um, bigger machine manufacturers such as Bosch, for example, which is who is very actively looking into um, going into Web3 and building new business models there, they are very keen on, on testing and trying things out. And also in this consortia there, we, are, we have like an entire smart, smart city um, testing field where we can test all kinds of things like decentralized parking, zoning, charging and all of that. So there will be a lot of POC um, created, tested, and then also published. Um, so it, it's, I think, really about partnering with the companies that have the right mindset and that want to explore this, and that's the massive opportunity in there. So far, most manufacturers we were talking to are definitely very interested. Then it's really about deciding on are they just talking, are they just interested in and being innovative or are they actually willing to put real resources and capital behind that and um, are willing to long-term go in that direction because only then it really makes sense from our side also to invest uh, the time into them and what has been your experience so far you know has there have there been companies who really put a lot of money behind those efforts yeah so there have been um, good investments made in the past in testing things out and, and trying and then often you still know that 
you know there's the 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 management is often kind of older boomer generation they really think more on web two terms so if if a company hasn't understood the potential at the top management and it doesn't come from there it's almost impossible to get through the 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 poc stage so our experience is then to better not work and partner with those companies but to really uh, look out for those that are actually uh, that have understood the potential on the top management and they are then heavily heavily investing over years really for example to mention bosch again it's, it's part of that like big future strategy to enable the economy of things and and yeah build new sustainable business models in there and since when have you guys started working with bosch so this is in the in the context of that um, guy X consortium. So it's been uh, one and a half years since we are have been setting up the consortia, and now like the lot the development work is getting more intense, requirements and so on, and and starting to test things out. So it's been um, as you guys can imagine in the, in the enterprise world, they're quite uh, like one year is not a long time. In crypto, one year on Web three, one year is. is, is a lot <laughs> in, the, in the enterprise world it's not so much yeah so this this has been the time frame and now the project like this entire consortium goes for the next three years and then after what the goal is to actually really launch um release standards and loads of product into the market which we will do all along the way right like continuously in that three-year period thank you tony i think you had a question uh, yes. Um, so it was referencing uh, a few individuals in the community, mainly Zab, mentioning about uh, other similar projects to Peak and their partnerships either through Gaia X or directly with other companies. So just as I am saying this now, Zab uh, posted a blog post from Bosch directly discussing uh, IOTA. And I'm just wondering if we may expand a little on how Peak differentiates from IOTA and why uh, kind of Bosch would prefer to work with Peak over IOTA or if there's kind of a symbiosis with working with both uh, IOTA and Peak. Yes, very good question. Uh, first of all, I assume, I haven't seen the uh, article here in the chat, but it's probably a little bit older because um, that has been in the past. So they've been working together on the path, but not anymore as of today. Um, in regards to IOTA and Peak, obviously there are many, many similarities. And we also know many people from IOTA, also the founders. We've spent quite some time with them back then in Berlin in the early days. Um, the main differences are, one, economics. So the way IOTA is... Um, structuring incentives, transaction fees, and so on, um, we don't see as necessarily sustainable. And we don't see that it can really incentivize the ecosystem and all the players in a way that they can that it can grow in a sustainable manner. That is one thing. And then on the technical level, um, we actually build our own um, deck, like directed ASIC, the graph of transactions, because we really liked the concept at the beginning. But then we quickly realized it's impossible or like super, super difficult to reach consensus in a decentralized manner. It's one thing, and then to have smart contracts running on that also in a decentralized manner, because the state of the network is never really known properly. 
uh, across the entire network. And I think how IOTA is solving it now, they then have kind of blockchains on top of the tangle, which are anchoring into it. And then um, it's like EVM smart contracts that you can deploy on that. But from a, it, it kind of, you know, yeah, put together in a way we don't really like. We are big fans of the substrate framework in the Polkadot ecosystem. We do see that yeah, it's, it's, it's just much better and much better to build for the future. The entire ecosystem around Polkadot is very healthy, incredible team with parity. And then again, from our point of view, like the technology needs to work and needs to be amazing, needs to be developed continuously further. And then it's really about financial incentives. If you can pull it off that you incentivize all the player correctly and they can uh, build sustainable business models, then this really can happen. That that economy of things, that machine economy. And as of today, I haven't seen that with IOTA. And I mean, I've, I've watched IOTA closely for five years now. Yeah. How do you then go about doing doing it differently? And you're indeed, you know, just to, to provide some more context here, uh, you're indeed right. The, the blog post was from 2018. So it was a while ago, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't work out like as far as I know and without going into too much detail. Um, the collaboration didn't work out back then and um, for like reasons of technology maturity and yeah, and other things. Um, yeah, how we go about it. I mean, one is really choosing the right technology to work with and to build. And from our point of view, Substrate and the Polkadot ecosystem, and we tried a lot of things, right? We've, we've, we've investigated a lot. Uh, is, is the, the, the right technology to build with. So that's a fundamental difference. Then um, really focusing on providing all the builders on peak, like the core functions of identity, access, payment, the right interfaces, the, the right tools. This is, this is important. IOTA also kind of developed into a general purpose layer one that is uh, doing NFTs and so on. So I feel like they lost a bit of their IoT focus and then try to do it all with um, whatever hype came up. Um, I think focus and really building around that use case is very important. And then thirdly, economics and incentives. We see this as, as, as a big USP that we are, we've thought through a lot. We are still getting more and more feedback from also from, from Parity, like really trying to get that right and get as much um, feedback on it as possible. But we're very confident that this, this is going in a really good direction and that we then can um, actually provide the peak ecosystem with the right financial incentives. So maybe that's a good transition to start talking about the, the peak token and why you need, um, you know, why you think you need a token to begin with. Yeah, yeah. Great, yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, the peak token, um, Generally, it's it's really kind of the the glue of the ecosystem. So, in order to have a public permissionless network, we we need a token. There are transaction fees that need to be paid for smart contracts, validators need to be paid for, and all of that need need to be done using a token. Because um, without a token, this is not possible. Then, furthermore, the token is also used. So we have different financial, um, yeah tools and products that, that will be coming up soon um, where people can invest into the ecosystem using the peak token. Then rewards are given out using the peak token as well. So the peak token is, is really also 
the glue that's required for this entire incentive mech for all these incentive mechanisms that I was just talking about before. So whenever someone invests or receives reward from the peak ecosystem, this is done um, using the peak token. I will, yeah, I'm happy to go into a bit more detail there as well. Um, and just to, before you go into detail, um, just for people to understand, so Peak is merely providing the infrastructure. You guys are not, or at least that's my understanding, you, you guys are not building those specific applications for each single use case. Meaning, let, let's say we, we go for the, um, the ride sharing uh, with scooters, for example. Um, you guys are not building that software, but you're incentivizing builders to come into your ecosystem and then leverage um, the infrastructure which you are providing. Yes, absolutely. That's, that's correct. Um, so we are really focusing on the, the ideal infrastructure for builders to build on, like having all the backend functionality, all the, the interfaces and tools in place to build very quickly and easily with. And then next to that, have the, the right financial incentives to, to really know, okay, here I can go and build. I have all the tools and the technology I need. And on top of that, it makes sense financially to do that on peak because I'm, I can, I can earn. And like those are the, really the two things that we are, um, yeah, that we are focusing on in order to enable that, yeah, entrepreneur and builder community of the machine economy to build on, on top of peak. And how do you um, go about Yeah, maybe to just, yeah. No, I'm sorry. We, ha we yes, have some, a little bit of lag. Uh, <laughs> I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no worries. No, no, please, please go ahead. Um, yeah, the question was, uh, how do you then go about attracting um, those businesses or that new talent? Do you only do this by, you know, merely providing the best tech or do you also have some like marketing strategies or, or partnerships uh, lined up? Yeah, absolutely. So what we, we actually, um, why we focus on the infrastructure, we are also incubating and really helping projects to build on peak. So to have the initial traction and the initial builders and to also be able to show the community, hey, a lot is happening, right? And, and show what's possible. We do help there a lot. Um, we're in the process of setting up an ecosystem fund as well and then setting up incubation programs where we um, yeah, help people to build on top. So kind of, if I, I don't know, those of you who are familiar with the Substrate Builders program by Parity, you know, like a, a small format of that kind, we want to build a peak builders program uh, further down the line to really support and help people building on top financially, but also with uh, know-how and, and engineering expertise. All right, thank you. Um, would you, so, uh, before I, I, I cut you off, would you mind, uh, jumping back into some details around, um, the token or maybe the economy, whether or not it's a deflationary system or, you know, how you expect, uh, value to accrue to the token itself or whether or not that's even relevant for what you're doing, um, uh, you know, and, and any additional context, uh, which you might be able to share at this point. Yes, of course, of course. Yes. So, so generally, um, there is, it's, it's, it's quite interesting. What we are planning to do is that there is small inflation happening, but 
the tokens are being collected in treasury con continuously and burned from there. So we, while having inflation as a tool also of distributing and incentivizing different stakeholders in the ecosystem, we aim to collect more tokens in the treasury um, than they're inflate, inflated so that they can get burned. So that overall there's a slight deflation happening over time and the token value increases for everyone. Maybe quickly to just give you an overview of who are the stakeholders that we are actually planning to incentivize. It's one, of course, all investors, Web3 investors that are investigating, uh, that are investing into the peak ecosystem and holding peak tokens. Then it's dApps. So all the dApps that are building on top of the network, they shall be able to build sustainable revenue streams so that they can actually operate and function and make, make money according to how much traction they bring pro rata to how much traction they bring to the network. It's also the collectors, like the, the validators that are operating and, and supporting the network. Then it's the machines themselves. So machines are also getting a reward every, every month. This is mainly to, for them to pay for transaction fees. So it's, it's not that much, but we want machines to kind of live on the network in a self-sustaining manner without any owners continuously having to provide machines with peak tokens, but they actually get from the network always a small amount of tokens in order to be able to execute transactions. Um, then also we have a way of subsidizing new machines being added to the network. So we want to provide individuals and companies with an incentive to buy and add new machines to the network. So there's a subsidization program that when you buy a machine and add it to the network, you get a subsidization from the network itself and thus have your machine cheaper. And then, as I said before, there's also um, the treasury pool where yeah, tokens are being collected, one to be burned, but also to for the further development of the ecosystem to invest into the ecosystem fund and so on. Um, generally, there, like, as I said before, the token is needed to invest into the ecosystem, to provide liquidity, then to receive rewards um, and, and receive in, in incentives like the, to all those stakeholders that I just mentioned before. Um, you are able to, like when you invest into the ecosystem, you are automatically minting machine NFTs. Those are in the beginning LP tokens that are representing a stake in, in a pool. And how we see that is really you owning a part of the machine economy. So when you own machine NFTs, like LP NFTs in that pool, you, you own a right of, yeah, of receiving re rewards from that pool. Further down the line, the, the, the term machine NFTs is flexible because there will be also at some point, real machines that are represented by an NFT or a group of machines that are represented by an NFT or multiple. But in the beginning, it's really also to like have it done super quickly. And there's a lot of legal trouble coming with the other things. But you are able to own a part of the machine economy and earn from its economic activity. Um, then, of course, like the, the basic things such as transaction fees are paid in the peak token, smart contract deployment. Um, paid in a peak token, network governance is performed using the peak token. So it's also a governance token. 
And um, yeah, like I said before, the collaterals are also, uh, the validators are also rewarded in peak. So those are roughly the, the, the main use cases of the token. Um, as you can see, it's, it's needed and used for basically everything that happens on the peak network. And the aim is to like have the overall supply slightly deflationary through um, working with burning in the treasury. Thank you. And so um, since you started uh, raising for peak, what was your experience with the market shifting? Did you see like, you know, maybe a, a reduction in demand of other VCs or do those VCs uh, who invested with you um, act detached from the market conditions? Yeah, from the, the, the recent, yeah, so, so one thing definitely, I mean, the, the market conditions had an effect, but I, we closed the, the latest funding round uh, a little bit after the, the, the massive um, crash and also what happened to, to Terra Luna. Um, yeah, so I would, I would say we can, we can say that because, for example, um, Fundamental Labs, who have been the lead investors of the last round, right, they were doing the lead even though the, the market was changing and um, it was in the final stage. So I would say we, we have very professional VCs and investors on board that um, obviously take the market conditions into account, but have invested, transferred their funds and are bullish mid to long term, uh, no matter how the market looks like. And where are you currently at in, in terms of um, the money which you have for what you want to do in the near term and then also farther down the line in the future, i.e. Um, do you have all the resources you need to execute on your, your short-term roadmap? Um, and how much runway do you have in total to get you to where you need to be until you're potentially uh, self-sustainable? Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the good thing is about... Um, Having some like a Germans in the team and also a head of finances is German. That they're like really uh, looking after every euro and every cent, right? So in terms of runway, we have more than two years runway. We have um, yeah all the resources to to build what we need to build short term. So like we're really really set also for the beer market to to build. Um, we do raise more money for sure, especially for ecosystem development and growth. But in terms of core product development and um, also core community uh, development, we, we are really in a really good and strong position now. And uh, yeah, very happy that we got those financial resources on board just now before the beer market because I think that's the time to really put our heads down to build and then uh, like rise in the next bull run, be ready. And uh, yeah, for sure. So this, this, is looking, this is looking really good. And within and regarding, sorry, the uh, investment vehicle uh, for other companies slash developments on the peak ecosystem, do you have a rough kind of ballpark figure of how much you guys are going to want to, how, how big of a fund you guys are going to want to create to incentivize that growth? Yeah, that's a good question and something that um, be better if, if one of my other co-founders still and, and our head of finance, Toby, they could answer that much better. So the first fund will be a bit smaller. I think it will be um, a couple of million, uh, like in, like short term. 
please don't uh yeah i as i don't have the exact exact number in mind but um i think it's uh it's still in the seven figures but then we're planning already the the second fund which will be which aims to be around 40 to 50 million but then also with a few partner projects so it's not only to invest in peak but also into projects that peak has partnered with where there's a shared ecosystem this is the plan for for the second fund perfect thank you but happy ha sure thing happy to to get back with a more concrete number and as you guys have access to to Jill and toby maybe that's something you can you could ask uh yeah an hour our collective group absolutely yeah we'll follow up thanks i have one more question then then i'm going to start uh reading the questions of the community um you know since you guys i know a lot of you you got you and your your teammates are from germany and um a lot of the companies uh which you guys have partnered up with uh very close to the government so you know what role do you think the government and government funding is going to play for you guys going forward and do you either already have or do you intend to get uh, government contracts uh, around the web3 um, uh, topic mm -hmm. yeah so um generally we try to be as independent and detached as possible so we don't want to rely on individual big companies or big governments because so much can change so we really want to be as independent as possible. But wherever we feel like a government or a big company has the right mindset and is doing the right things, then we are like super open to, to explore this. And right now it's really about getting money from the government for a lot of research and development. So they're kind of R&D contracts. We, we have uh, roughly a million and, and like, like in total grants, more than a million in, in government funding just for R&D over the next, uh, next three years. Um, and this, this is great to have this ability and have, have government money to work with. And then further down the line, having more long-term government contracts and also with the companies, for sure. I mean, we're, we're to, like, this is something to, to strive for and to be open for, but like we, we don't, um, yeah, we, we don't rely on that. We don't make ourselves dependent on that because, as I said before, right, it's so much effort and takes so much time. And then at any point, something can go wrong. And um, yeah, then this would be uh, not good if you have invested a lot of time and money into one, one deal. Yeah, and, and governments are super slow. You know, that, that's exactly. not helping anyone, right? Exactly. Especially and in a space where sometimes you have to move fast. For sure. And, and in the end, like everyone can just come and build on peak, right? So we, it's permissionless. It's open. The government wants to do something. They can go ahead. They don't need to like ask us. Of course, we can be partners helping, integrating and so on. But like the mid to long term, we decentralize more and more, becoming a DAO that like everyone who wants to build on peak and the ecosystem can do so. Just get get some peak tokens and, and 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 ready to rumble and participate basically. So this is really also something I wanted to highlight. There's no like gatekeeping um, from us. We want to make ourselves more and more redundant as 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 an entity that is facilitate. Like we always facilitate and develop further, but we are not um, giving permission to anyone. 
And uh, one more question. When, so first of all, how, how big is the team at the moment? And then second question, how, when do you guys expect to start generating the first revenues? Yeah, so we're uh, 25 at the moment, um, but hiring uh, soon, soon towards uh, 30. Um, yeah, and in terms of revenues, um, I mean, there are, there are those, those grants and, and, and funding. There are some, some integrations where we're making revenues from. And then from the token economics uh, and the treasury and so on. So like the Peak Foundation itself will make revenue and money from the network for developing it further, for facilitating it. So this is where the, the revenues are really coming from. But then everyone who is participating in the network can generate revenue from the network itself. And I guess a, a, a slice of all the revenues which are generated on your infrastructure you know, is going to you, right? Um, so for the development, yes. I mean, as long as there is development being done and so on. And in the beginning, the, this, this is the case in order to have the, the team and the manpower to, to push things forward. But for the long term, once Peak is like fully decentralized, there should not be one central entity that is receiving a big chunk or like a good amount of the overall network revenues. But the overall network revenue should be distributed between those stakeholders who earned it. So this is, this is kind of, there will be a transition. But in the beginning, of course, there needs to be a team that is organized and structured and has financial resources to, to, get, to get the whole thing to that point. And what's your personal motivation in building this? That's a great question. Thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, so for me, it was always I wanted to work or like for me, I, I, I only want to work on something where I feel like I can have an impact. I can, it, it sounds a bit cheesy, but, but make the world a better place. I think technology is very powerful to push humanity forward and to create progress. Um, I believe that the, if we have a machine economy that's Web2 based, a few big companies and a few people controlling it, having all the capital and um, like the rest of society not having access to investing into that space and earning from it, I think we will have, a, we'll have ma massive social problems. So democratizing access to invest and earn from the machine economy and also to distribute the value creation of that machine economy in a much fairer democratic way. This is something that really drives me as the, the bigger purpose and why, um, why I'm yeah, building peak every day. Thank you. Okay. So we have one question by Jesse. He writes, you list Audi as an enterprise and association, uh, excuse me, you list Audi as uh, under enterprise and associations on your website. What exactly is the relationship between the both of you? Yeah, perfect. Sorry. That was a mute, unmute. Um, yeah, very good. Very good question. So actually, Audi was the company that initiated this entire decentralized charging idea. Um, they, their users, our customers had the massive issue and problem of, uh, yeah, having to have way too many charging cards and accounts and so on. And also not being able to charge a private charging station. It's actually a person there who charged at his father-in-law and always had to give him cash afterwards. And he was like, there must be a, a digital way of doing that. So that's where this idea was coming from. So we worked on that use case a lot already uh, in the past. And um, at, 
now the, the relationship is that they also realized, okay, we cannot build a central platform that we can monetize um, by ourselves because that, you know, it's about building a neutral backbone, open permissionless, um, kind of like decentralized charging platform. Um, and this needs to be done in, a, in an open, independent way. So they're supporting, involved, and want this to happen. But what they said, okay, we, we cannot like make that a product of ours and launch it as ours because then we need to own and control it. And then again, it uses blockchain at the, at the layer one, but, um, yeah, it's, it's still centralized and controlled again. So it kind of evolved from a, like a, um, a project that we started and incubated and now it become like it becomes its own independent project. Also, we have peak, uh, incubate and supporting but there's an independent team actually working on this to build that decentralized charging platform and then uh, all these involved with requirements input um, further down the line using it uh, together with other other companies we're working with thank you um, Farsan is asking which strategy will peak choose to secure a parrot chain and what happens if they aren't able to yeah um, yeah, very, very good one as well. So, I mean, what we're doing right now is to, to build um, initial community, right, to really get people fired up and excited. We will first run for Kusama Parachain because it's, as you know, much easier. We are actually raising um, for that as well uh, to have the Parachain slot secured uh, in, in that way. So we actually raise for, uh, for, the, for the loan. Uh, so that this is this should be no problem, and from from being a Kusama parachain, it then also becomes easier to become a Polkadot parachain. Um, the exact strategy will be unveiled and published. I don't have the exact details right now, but we can we can share some more. It's it's worked on already. It's um, on how much yeah how much people are uh, receiving for participating in the crowd loan. Generally. We are very confident that this that we can become a Kusama and a Polkadot parachain. But of course, there's some more work to be done, community building, showing the, the traction. Um, but we have some amazing news lined up that will be coming out. And um, we feel like we have a, a unique value proposition, the Polkadot ecosystem, as there's no other project that is exactly doing things the way we are doing it. Thank you. Andy is asking a major part of your concept depends on business adoption how will peak scale the onboarding of new business partners mm, very good one as well yeah so we're in the process of building a um a ecosystem peak ecosystem program and we just hired uh, someone to take care of that so what we build is kind of we want to build a duplicatable way of companies to be involved in the peak ecosystem to be able to test things out, um, have innovative matchmaking as well. So we're partnering with another company that is building entrepreneurs. And we then want to do matchmaking between companies, manufacturers uh, in our ecosystem and entrepreneurs that are working on problems that could be interesting for those. So it's really important to build a program where we provide value to those companies um, and have new POCs and ideas being worked on, which they can try and test out. Uh, but of course, without having to invest too much time and effort into 
each individual company. So this is what we're currently designing, a scalable uh, ecosystem program that um, yeah, is not dependent on a lot of customization for each player. Thank you. So uh, Hiroshima Sunset uh, has a, a little bit of a longer question, but I need to summarize it. So essentially he's asking um, if you are rewarding and incentivizing people with tokens, wouldn't those people then be tempted to sell those tokens right away to cash out, so to speak? Yes. Very, and then create selling pressure. Yeah, absolutely. But the beauty is that um, what we, like the incentive mechanism is designed in a way that when you reinvest them, like kind of you could auto reinvest them and then have like really strong compounding effects because the rewards you're getting, if you um, like provide them and then also stake them, um, they are extremely high. So you can just provide the liquidity, but if you then take it, um, the rewards you're receiving are much, much higher. So we're, we're well incentivizing people to leave the liquidity and their earnings in the ecosystem, like in a nutshell. So this is like by incentivizing everyone well enough to keep the money invested and to reinvest newly generated uh, receive returns. This is the way we want to, uh, um, yeah, hinder or like um, make sure that there's not much selling pressure, that no one is like, not too many people are selling the rewards they're getting all the time. Yeah, and, and I mean, you know, this is not a new problem, right? And essentially, as long as you have a, a working economy, as long as you have people paying for services, and other people getting paid for services, and then you have a, a slight deflationary mechanism in place, you know, at least the thing is going to hold its value. And, you know, not everything has to, like, get pushed to the moon, right? To, to some extent, things just have to be functional and practical. And then, you know, you can always make, like, slight adjustments with your tokenomics and, and have staking mechanisms in place and um, compounding and so on to make it more attractive. But I think the, the underlying um, value here is much more important that you actually have something that's a working economy and not like a, a play-to-earn game, for example, where guilds might come in to actually play the game. But, you know, no one is providing a service to anyone. Everyone is just, like, investing time to pull money out. And it's very different if you have mm -hmm. an economy where people actually pay for services. You you pay to use a machine, you pay for electricity, you you pay to share something. Um, you know, it, the tokenomics are not that big of a deal as most people make it out to be. As long as the underlying concept is sound, um, the tokens you know can can always be worked on. Agreed. Yeah, well said. So. Andy again, uh, he's asking, the industry is moving slow. Are there enough short-term applications to sustain the platform until we see fully aut autonomous machine economy? Also, very good one. Um, so yeah, there, is, there, there are more low-hanging fruit use cases like smaller devices that you can place somewhere, uh, for example, generating data such as air pollution and so on and so on, and the data can be sold. So they're like low-hanging fruit use cases that can gain much more traction because it's just 
buying some piece of hardware, putting it somewhere, and then having it up and running. Not everything is as complicated as the, the, the charging case, for example. This is one thing. And then what we're doing as well in the beginning is that we we help the kind of kickstart the network with uh, having rewards being distributed. So there's a certain amount of, of tokens that are also used to actually initially get the economy going, and especially in the first couple of months and so on. So that there's like a sustainable way of having this economy up and running while continuously adding on more and more traction to it. So we, we thought about that. Um, and yeah, there's a, there, this is planned in that we have a smooth way of getting things properly started straight away and um, making sure that there's like constant more adoption traction happening. And yeah, so that there's no, there's not so much need for initial kickstart mechanisms anymore so they kind of fade out uh, over time and jesse is asking about your um ui or uh, ux so i'm i'm just guessing that on the front end whoever's using uh you know your whoever's using an app which is uh working on the infrastructure they wouldn't know that it's actually a crypto app, right? It, w it would probably look like a, a normal app. Correct, yeah. So we're really, all the apps will be more of invisible backbones. And um, of course, um, there will be like connecting a wallet instead of signing in with a user account. So there will be differences users will see, but also there, there will be like, there will be straight away connect the wallet, go web, go full web three. But I think many, um, providers will in the beginning also still have normal user accounts and then handle the public and private key for their users for quite some time. So we will see both. We will see fully decentralized apps and we will see some central middlemen that are in between and that use the peak network for decentralized um, transaction infrastructure and, for example, in the charging case, peer-to-peer -peer settlements, uh, identity, authentication, and so on. Thank you. And, and it looks like we have to go over one topic uh, one more time. So uh, Masih uh, is asking, um, back to enterprises, why would Bosch be interested in ultimately giving away their business value to people via pooled machines, NFTs? Uh, via pooled machine NFTs. Economy of things, ownership, transformation is gated by manufacturers, isn't it? I see no difference between Uber and Bosch, to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, so the main difference is, I mean, right now, for example, a company like Bosch, they are selling, um, they are not so much in a platform business and service business, but they are selling hardware, all kinds of things to other companies. And then they don't make much more money with it. But in Web3, like, um, first of all, if you sell something that can earn money by generating data and you enable your users to sell the data, you can sell it for more, right? So Elon Musk also said once the Teslas are robotaxed, these Teslas will become much, much more expensive because it's just economically active. And this is one thing. They can sell their things for more and they can also build, like they just can put things out there and make money um, from the things that they put uh, in, into, into the market that they still own. So they can build new business models um, coming from that as well by by not selling machines to other people but like 
putting them out there and letting them work economically for themselves. Um, whereas Uber, for example, is a sole service platform business, right? Uber is not manufacturing anything. They are just providing the platform that is matching a user and a taxi driver and it's taking a cut for it. Uber can be easily disrupted in Web3. Of course, it will take time. But Bosch, like a company that is actually producing the original uh, equipment, that, that's a whole, it's a whole different thing. Um, but they never got into actually being being in those platforms and building those those big central platforms. So they are very keen in rather participating, earning from Web3 platform models. Then um, right now they just have to, they can't participate really in the Web2 platform models. They're just selling to everyone the hardware and what everyone is using to, to make money. Um, on IoT platforms, for example, but they don't own the platform themselves. So this is kind of, in a nutshell, but it's a bit more complex, I have, I have to admit. Yeah, I mean, essentially, they, they are giving away a business they never had, and then they reap the benefits of, of that business being run um, on chain. So, you know, it, it's very different from someone who is depending on the business model and who is making a killing of the business model. You know, they have no incentive to either change or to, to change uh, the way business is done where they might be ending up with less money. But someone who never had that business, you know, they don't care if they then make only a fraction of what Uber would be doing if they would be doing the same thing. And um, just as you said, they might come up with very new business models where they just put the machines out in the world and then they end up uh, being used by customers and then also generating uh, revenues to some degree passively um, for Bosch. Correct. Yeah. Um, Leon is asking, how are you protected against big players entering the market? Do you have any proprietary tech? And he's probably also referring to, you know, potentially a patent or something that protects you to a degree. Yeah. Yeah. We, we were looking into that in the beginning quite a lot. We were also working on patents. But as you know, I mean, Web3 is, is all about open source. And in the end, of everyone can come and set up a Ethereum network, right? You can just fork it and uh, have an Ethereum network. But what makes Ethereum and, and Ether so valuable, it's the ecosystem that has been built on that one specific network. So um, whatever is open source can be copied, but then it's about actually the ecosystem and the specific token being used in that ecosystem that creates the value around it. So there is, um, we are not patenting anything we're doing because that would be completely against the spirit of Web3 and that would kind of block innovation from happening on the peak network. So the, like every, by having everything open on peak to build with, we invite everyone to use that and build on top and then, of course, someone could come and take it and use it somewhere else. But this happens in Web3 all the time. And then you can, you can we, I mean, we do the same. We also take things from here and there and um, customize them to our needs. But yeah, in the end, it's really about building the ecosystem and having your token being used in your ecosystem. And, and, and that's really where the value comes from. And once people and, and companies and so on are anchored in that ecosystem and use that, as the layer one to perform those things, they, they are in there. They, they are not locked in. They can use any time, but why should they if, if they have everything they need 
and if they can also co-create and develop this ecosystem further. So it's, it's a very different approach and mindset to Web2. I know, and it's, uh, yeah, it sounds, it sounds counterintuitive at first. Yeah, and I think it's also important to mention um, that you, you guys must be doing something right if you get Audi and, and Bosch on board and Airbus and a couple of the other um, German giants. And, you know, I think it's a big advantage to start off in, in Germany and in Europe. I think you, you guys would probably have a, a tougher time um, getting a, a foothold in the US. Um, but getting those German companies on board, I think that's going to eventually make the difference because they are not going to look for, uh, you know, a second partnership. If you guys are uh, nurturing those relationships and if you guys are deli delivering and doing the things right, um, then those relationships are just going to be expanded uh, by both parties. And then I don't think it's going to take that long before you guys have a head start over anyone else who might be willing to come into the space. And then even if you, if you, even if you have someone who comes up with a similar approach, you know, more than more, more likely than not, these are going to be guys out of the US or out of Asia. You know, it's rather unlikely that so something that innovative is going to come out of Germany again. So, you know, someone foreign will have a very difficult time to um, convince anyone in Germany to do business with them. It's a hundred times easier if you have a, a German team and if you have some um, credentials in Germany already. So I think even if someone else came up uh, with, a, with a similar approach, um, just having those partners and having that head start in Germany is probably a, a big USP in itself. Yeah, thanks a lot for summarizing. Um, agreed. In the end, everyone, it, it's really about getting things executed and done. And um, I think if we create the right culture and spirit and are productive and move fast, then this is the, our best chance to not be, um, yeah, to not have competitors uh, overtaking. All right, Leonard. Um, I want to thank you very much for your time today. And uh, I really appreciate the answers you have shared with us. Um, you know, but but I'm, I'm very uh, happy with the aim. I, uh, I really appreciate uh, you sharing your point of view and your insights. And um, I got even more bullish on Peak. You know, I, uh, and, and, and I'm, not, I'm not sure if you're, you're aware of this, but I'm from Germany as well. So, you know, I, I can see how that technology could be used in Germany and I can, you know, and I can totally see how, you know, sharing your solar energy and, you know, uh, sharing your charging stations, you know, all of that is going to be extremely attractive to um, the Germans just because of the, of the way they think. And, you know, they like to save money. They, they like to have things which yield some kind of a pass, passive return. And, you know, even if you if even if you would only focus on Germany, I would still be bullish because Germany is you know even if you just do it right in Germany, uh, you're still going to succeed. And then having those big companies as partners, um, and potentially you know having some sort of a product which is then going to be uh, put on the market with a native Web three integration, um, I think that you have a good probability to succeed with what you're doing. Yeah, thanks a lot, uh, Sean. And uh, yeah, thanks a lot for having me. It was a great pleasure to be here with all of you. Really enjoyed the questions. 
And um, yeah, no, looking forward to, to being in touch and having also more close contact with all of you. Um, and yeah, let's, let's do this. It's a collective effort. It's not uh, a few people like building a strong Web3 ecosystem as, um, as a community um, yeah, that is actually enabling this. So yeah, very happy if some of you or more of you are excited about what we're doing. And yeah, we, every support is super appreciated and welcome. Yeah, thank you very much. And you know, it, at the end of the day, a lot of this comes down to the core values and to having similar belief systems. And what you shared about your own motivations and what you shared about your approach to attracting builders and developers, you know, that's not something which we hear from for the first time. And we had heard this again. Uh, we heard this already from other projects where, you know, in some of them we also invested in. And, you know, many of those we, we hold in very high regards. So it's very good to, to you know, hear that once again and to, to hear that so many good people share the same mindset. Amazing. Yeah, so important. That's where it all comes then from. It's, that's at the core. Absolutely. All right, Leonard, great. thank you very much. And I hope we talk again soon. Thank you. Yeah, likewise. Have a great evening or a day or wherever you are. <laughs> bye, guys. Likewise. Thank you. Thank you so bye much. Bye. Take bye. care. Bye-bye. Thank you. You too. This recording has been prepared by VVV. The recording is made available by VVV and is for information purposes only. This recording should not be considered as an offer or solicitation to sell, buy or subscribe to any financial instruments or product, securities or any other derivative instrument or any other rights pertaining thereto. VVV does not express any opinion as to the present or future value or price of any instruments referred to in this recording. The information provided in this recording is believed to be valid and accurate on the date it is first published, but VVV, along with its directors, officers or employees, do not accept any liability for any loss arising from the use of the information. The information contained therein, including any expressions of opinion, has been obtained from or is based on sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy or completeness is not guaranteed and is subject to change without notice. Any expressions of opinion reflect the views of the speakers and are not necessarily those of VVV and are subject to change without notice. Any decision made by a party after listening to this recording shall be on the basis of its own research and not be influenced or based on any view expressed by VVV in this recording or otherwise. This recording does not address all risks. This recording does not constitute investment advice or a recommendation that has been prepared without regard to individual financial circumstances, objectives or particular needs of listeners. Listeners should seek their own financial, tax, legal, regulatory and other advice regarding the appropriateness or otherwise of investing in any investments and or pursuing any investment strategies.